We have um, one thing with our church just from the beginning is we just had an awesome uh, heart for fostering and adopting and lots of people in our church that have a heart for that. In fact, um, I don't have any photos of it, but Friday night we had a big uh, foster outreach where we had the whole chapel was packed with clothes, toys, all kinds of stuff for foster kids, and people that have donated time, money, energy, items, all had it all ready to go, and people from foster families could literally just come in and then come through the hallway, walk in, grab a box full of awesome stuff, and then head out to take care of their families. And so it's just amazing for all the people that are serving that ministry, all the people that are working in that ministry, uh, people that give to the church. I mean, we're trying to take that and use it to do uh, God's work and to do God's mission. And you guys are all part of that. Whether you were here Friday night as a part of that or not, you're a part of it because you're part of helping this church to grow and to be what it is. So thank you guys for that. Uh, we're jumping into the word today. It's money, money, money. Uh, it's been three years since I talked on money until last week, and now I'm going to talk on it every week for the rest of our existence. <laughs> Woo! Come on, get Daddy a new pair of shoes and a nice shoe of the biggest truth that God wants you to know about money. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a recap from last week and then jump into some new things uh, for this week. Uh, first of all, last week we said the biggest truth that God wants you to know is that money's a heart issue. But it's not just about your heart. Because oftentimes it's preached that, well, money's a way that God's testing your heart. God's testing your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. God's testing your heart. That is true, but it's also true that in Malachi, God uses money. Well, he's using harvest and other things, but in our modern times, it'd be money. Because theirs was provision. That was what they needed to live. In our modern time, what we need to live is money, right? We need that. I mean, just try going and spending the next week walking into everywhere and saying, hey, God bless, can I take this with me? And you're not going to be able to do that. And so it's about provision and bringing, he said, if you bring in my whole tithe, he says, then I'll pour out, open heavens and pour out my blessing on you. But he says, test me in it. Not trust him in it, test him in it. He says, try this out, test me and see if this will work. Why? Because he's wanting his own heart to be tested. He's wanting us to look at him and say, are you faithful? Are you honorable? Are you good? Why? Because he's not afraid of the test. He knows that he's faithful. He knows that his word is good. Now, we said that the, it's about the law and the promise because it's an Old Testament verse, and people say, well, yeah, but the law has been broken at Jesus. Absolutely 100% true. If you do not tithe, you're still going to heaven. If you do not tithe, God can still bless you. If you do not tithe, you can still get a promotion. If you do not tithe, guess what? It doesn't mean all your cars are going to break down, and now you're out of the covering of God. Why? Because God's a good father, and he loves you, and he's going to care for you. And because Jesus has already paid the price, he's brought us into communion with God. And you can still be blessed even if you never tithe. You can still be blessed. So that is just a fact. But the promise is also still true because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he promises in Malachi, if you read the verse, uh, it actually says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, uh, which tithe does mean 10%. So are we checking people's money and saying, are you giving 10%? Well, that's outrageous. It is outrageous. And I'm going to get into why God wants it anyways. But it is outrageous. It's fully outrageous. We're trying to survive and make a living and trying to do stuff, and God wants to take 10%. What a grifter. What a greedy miser up there. He's already got a thousand cattle on all the hills and all these things. And he wants to come down and get dip in my pocket? Like, geez, I'm already doing enough. I got up and prayed this morning. I went on a walk and talked to God. Like, does he need more? Okay, he, he wants more, and I'm going to get into why he is that way uh, throughout the sermon. But it says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the 6,000. Because you know what? You're tapping into the blessing. That's not what it means, because it doesn't say he's going to open up Chase Bank or Bank of America and pour out into your life. It says that he's going to open up heaven and pour into your life. God knows what you need. God knows how to bless you. I said last week that when I was an alcoholic, I started coming to the Lord and started giving. And if God would have given me back money, he would have killed me. 
because I would have used it wrongly. God gave me back a mentor and someone to disciple me and somebody to help me. So God knows what you need, and he's saying, I'll open up heaven, and I'm going to pour out blessing on you. I was with somebody in communion today that doesn't have a job, and they said, you know what? I have total peace in my life. When I had a job, I didn't even have peace. But now that I'm serving the Lord and walking with God, I have total peace. It's unexplainable. He knows what we need, and he gives it to us. But coming back to this, the law and the promise, yes, in Romans it talks about that Jesus came and that the law died because Jesus broke it. But it also says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And if you read Malachi, he's saying, do this. But he's also saying, if you test me, I will pour out. That's a promise. I will pour out into your life. So the promise is still valid. And I personally take God up on his promise. I personally take it. I say, God, you know what? It's your promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into it because I believe you. And I walk that way. I live that. And so as we go on, that word test uh, is pecan, and it means examine, scrutinize, try. It's the same exact word that was used when David cried out to God and said, search me, God, know my heart, test me. God's saying, do the same to me. Search me, know me, test me. It's what the Bible talks about in Job, when Job is being tested by God. It's, it's testing his character, seeing if he'll crack, seeing if he's faithful. And so those are the things that we talked about last week, but now we're going to get into this week. And it's why does God use money as a test in the first place? Why does God do that? And so we're going to go to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. Praise God, there's no vermin and things like that up there. Um, that'll be a hard thing for my mom, Heidi, here because she loves catching them. When they lived on property, she loved to catch the moles. And now that she's at our house, she prays that we get mice so she can try to catch them and kill them. She loves it. But in heaven, there's none. All dogs go to heaven, but the mice go to hell, I guess. Um, but there's no vermin. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We all know this verse. Well, a lot of us do. What's the heart? The heart is cardia. This is what the word comes from in the Greek. It says, the desire producer that makes us tick. The effective center of our being and capacity of moral preference, the desire decisions that establish who we really are. So God uses money and provision because it is something that gets so core at the significance of who we are that it literally is how we make decisions. And if you look at where somebody's money is going, you can see and go, do you know what? This is what they care the most about. Okay, that doesn't mean that you can't have cable TV because that's an affront to God because you spent money on cable. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean if you had more, paid more money for groceries this year, you care about yourself more than God. That's not what it means. But what it means is that you can look at somebody's treasure, and if they're spending a lot of money on cowboy uh, gear and cowboy games, and they're spending more on that than they're even spending on spending time with their own family or kids, it shows, well, hey, I love my kids, but boy, I love my cowboys. And when they grow up, their kids are like, yeah, my dad was always gone. It can show where your heart's at. Where are you really putting your time? Where are you really putting your energy? What really matters to you? And so God uses it as a test to see where we're at. And it also allows it to be a test to see where his heart is at. Where does God pour out his treasure? Where does he use his most valuable possession? Where does he use the thing that is life to him? Well, the Bible tells us where he uses it. Because he so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. He gave the greatest thing that he had. He gave it to us fully, and it shows us where his treasure is. And for him to be able to test our treasure without us having to just die, 
is he says, okay, this is what helps you to live, and so I'm going to test you with that. That's I want to see where your heart's at, and I want to see where you are. And he does that to help us to grow and to help us to connect him. But the biggest thing that we're talking about is our test back to him. Here's another reason that God uses money. And this is in Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one is able to serve two masters. It says, for he will either uh, hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. So you're not able to serve both God and mammon. Some translations translate that second word as money. But the actual word is mammon, and it has a specific meaning. It's not just money, but this is the meaning of it. It's actually a Semitic term, and it means the treasure that a person trusts in. You cannot serve God and the treasure that you trust in. What do you trust in? What is it that at the end of the day that you believe is going to be what takes care of you and that helps you? What is it at the end of the day that's going to do that? Is it your work that can turn into workaholic? Is it your, and, and not enjoying things even when you're there because you're stressed out about it. Is it your retirement? I know a lot of people that are so stressed out about their retirement because the stocks are going up, the stocks are going down. This person's coming in office, that person's going out of office. And their trust is in what they're building up. And do you know what it does? It becomes a bondage, it becomes a slavery that locks them in, whatever that is. And so if you're trying to serve that, you can get very caught up in it. But if you're serving the Lord, it frees us up because if you read Matthew chapter 6, and I would take a note on that if you've never read that. The whole chapter is Jesus explaining what it's like to walk as a Christian, to walk as a follower of God, as a child of God, in terms of finances, provision, and all that stuff. He lays all this out, and then he talks about, and so I tell you, because of all of this, because you're serving God and not mammon, because I take care of you, because of all these things, don't worry. How many of you ever struggled with worry? Worry or anxiety, especially about finances. He's saying if you do it this way, you don't have to worry. Why? Because I'm going to open up heaven and take care of you. Does that mean that you're going to have more money than the next guy? No. But it means you cannot worry and trust that he's going to take care of you in the way that he knows that you need it. And so as we look at that, it's kind of like a trust fall. That's why I have the picture of the trust fall up there, is it's this idea that where do you really trust? You know, if I was to come, and you ever done one of those where you get up on a high thing, you got people back there, and you're supposed to just like drop back in them? Anybody done that before? It's scary. I'm scared of heights. I don't like those. But the only reason a trust fall works is because you're letting go of your own control and balance and you're letting yourself fall. Otherwise, it's not a trust fall. If I do a trust fall with my wife and I say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fall on you, but come really, really close. Okay, put your hands on my back. Okay, now I'm going to start leaning. Okay, push harder. But I don't, and I, That's kind of like a trust lean. It's not a trust fall. A trust fall means if somebody doesn't catch you, you're in trouble. That's what trust is about. Trust is not leaning into somebody a little bit and saying, okay, I kind of, but I'm, I'm standing, but I'm kind of leaning on you. Trust is when you put something in your control and you take it and you put it in someone else's control. That starts to get at the heart of why God, at least in tithing, says 10%. Why? Because it's absurd. Because how will I live? How will I make it? How will I survive? That's not leaning. I can drop a 20, and that's leaning. Because if God doesn't do anything, I'm fine. But when I start giving to a capacity that if God doesn't come and catch me, I'm in trouble, that's a problem. But it also reveals trust. 
And it makes sense to see, why do they do those at different corporate events and all these different areas where people gather together to build a relationship? Because when you fall in someone else's arms and they catch you and you walk away, you may not have even known them, but guess what? Now I have years and we've been through lots of stuff, but I've never fallen off of a tall log in that person's arms, but this person I have. So I trust them more now. I love them more now. And it creates this bond. And so God's giving us a chance to bond with him in a deeper way, to come closer into relationship with him by putting ourselves into a place of trust. And so another reason or another thing about what God wants is that God wants extremely rich people's money. We love that. He does. God wants the 1%. He wants the top 1%ers money. He wants them to take their money and to give it. Amen. How many would like the 1% to give a little more? I mean, come on, give it. Right? Pour it in. Do you know what? You got the heart of Jesus on that. You do. Check it out. Luke 18, 22 to 24. On hearing this, Jesus told him, he's talking to this rich ruler. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you own. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. You'll have treasure. You'll have what? You'll have trust in heaven because why? You no longer have trust in yourself. Right? And what you've done in the world. You have trust in me because I'll have to come through for you. You have treasure in heaven. You have trust in heaven. Your reward will be in heaven. So do this. He's telling this to the rich young ruler. And it says, but when the ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was extremely wealthy. He wasn't just wealthy. The actual word there translated as extremely wealthy. And it means really, in our terms, it would be like he wasn't just kind of a guy that was doing well. He was extremely wealthy. He is a one percenter. And Jesus like, you don't give up that money. And then you'll be okay. And so Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a different word used here with rich than the one that's used with wealth. The word that's used here with rich, we go on this next page, it says that he is, uh, the wealthy means, I'm not going to try to pronounce that one, but properly it means fully resourced, rich, filled, having God's muchness. So in his first sentence, the guy says, it's talking about that he was very wealthy, so he was sad. He was poured out upon with God's muchness, God's blessing. God had given him everything he had. God had provided for him, given him the wisdom to make money. It's God that gives us the power to get wealth, given him the opportunities, given him the favor, blessed his life. He is rich with all of this and wealthy, not with his own, but this is a God-given heavenly thing. But then check out when the guy turns away. It says a different word here, and it means that he was, it was a thing that one uses or needs. Now, let me ask you this. If the guy is that wealthy, does he really use or need everything that he has? Does he really need the 10 cars that he's got in his garage? Or the 10 donkeys? And the extra mule? And the high-end horse that he keeps in the back? Does he really need that? No. But in his mind, he needs all of this. Why? Because his uh, prestige... His safety, his security, it's in his stuff. And we see that all around us in the world. People who gain stuff always need a little more stuff. Because, well, I'm feeling pretty good, but if something happens, I need to have a little more. I just need to have a little more. They asked that of of Rockefeller back in the day when he was super wealthy. They said, uh, and he was here, they said, you know, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. And you get bound by that. It becomes a bondage. So it is something that takes over our heart. No matter how much we get, I've talked to people that made a certain amount of money. They started making more. They started making more. They started making more. And they kept saying, but I still feel stressed. I said, well, when you start giving beyond what you think is reasonable, your stress will break. Because it's really, it's a spirit of poverty. 
It's a poverty mindset that I have to have enough and take care of myself because God won't. And that can't be broken by adding to it. That can only be broken by surrendering it to God. And so, and they actually did that and started living in freedom. And it was awesome to watch. But that's what God does. So here is another truth. God wants extremely poor people's money. If you're here today and you have no money, I got 75 cents in my pocket, and the problem is I owe $75 to someone else. If you are here today and you are broke, guess what? God wants your money. What a grifting miser. That makes me so angry. But he does. Well, what do you mean he does? Okay, we're going to go back to the word, and we're going to dive into it. Okay, Jesus, Luke 21. One through four. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich, we talked about them, putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, and she put in all that she had to live on. Very poor, she gave in all she had to live on. Okay, so everybody here that's broke and everything like that, go give your money. Don't call me when you don't have a place to live. Because I'm not helping you with that because I use your money on something else. Doesn't that feel like that? But this is what he's saying. That he's watching and he's seeing that. Well, but how do we know that he approved it? How do you know that he wanted it? Because he's using her in the story as a good example. He's using her as a story as a person that had a good heart, that loved the kingdom. He's not saying, and look at all these people, and they gave, and she shouldn't have had to. He's saying this was good for her to do. But what does it mean? Look at this next part. Is the word poor here, it means to crouch or cower like a beggar. This is the type of poor she was. To crouch or cower like a beggar, properly bent over, deeply destitute, completely lacking resources and earthly wealth, helpless as a beggar. And it goes on to say that it relates to the pauper, check this out, the pauper rather than the, pre- than the peasant. The extreme opposite of the rich. The word poor that's used in that verse isn't even the poor of a peasant. It's the poor of a pauper, which was far below a peasant. Somebody with nothing. Why would God want the poor's money? Why would he want that? Well, the reason that God wants the money from the wealthy is to set them free from their reliance upon money. Right? God wants money from the poor for the same reason. And I've been all the above. Believe me. I've been all of the above. And God wants from all because it sets all of us free. And he wants us beyond our own need. Here's the thing about giving. If you give what you are comfortable with, it makes you proud. That's the reality. I'm a good giver. I help people. I feel good about it. When you give within your comfort zone, it makes you feel like a good person. It makes you feel proud. When you give outside of your comfort zone, it makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel at risk. It makes you feel dependent. And it makes you say, why am I doing this? Which is a great question. Because the only answer, the only real answer, is because... Whoever's been given much, much is required. I wouldn't even be here if God hadn't saved me, if God hadn't loved me. It causes us to reflect back 
on our testimony and to realistically look at our life. Despite not having all the things that we wish we had and being as big a success as we hoped we would be, if we really get cornered back into looking at the reality of our life, we're forced to go, wow, if not for God. If not for God, there is no way I would be here. And to really count our blessings, which brings in humility. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it opens up this whole new pathway of grace and this whole new pathway of relationship and knowing God that we don't access when we give comfortably. Because we have to get to where we're like, all right, I'm stretched out here, Lord, and I don't know why you, what's going on? And it causes that introspection and causes, look, so why do we hesitate? I've got a bunch of reasons up here. You might have other ones, but these are some of the reasons that I've thought of. Even just in my own life, poverty mindset is greater than faith in the abundance of God. The rich young ruler was facing that. God was giving him abundance, but he was still stuck on what he needs and what he has to have. Maybe you're caught up in that. The fear of reality is greater than trust in God's provision. Well, you don't understand. This is real. Yeah, it is real. It is real. I'll tell you one, one story from my own life. I'm not going to use a lot of them on this, but I'll tell you one story. We moved from Vancouver to Bend, Oregon to help plant a church. When we moved from Vancouver, we were making really good money, really good money. And we were able to volunteer at the church and do all kinds of stuff. And the job that we were doing, the, the business that we had, required very little like time. And we had built it up, and we were doing great. We moved to Bend, Oregon to help plant a church. And the problem was the job that we had took a lot of flights, and we were flying all over the country to do it, in and out, and doing uh, things where we were uh, presenting things, and then there were sales and stuff, and then we'd come back. We moved to Bend, Oregon. There wasn't a good airport. And we moved there, and we're like, okay, uh, this business is crashing. And that business started crashing because we couldn't get out. We couldn't go anywhere. And so we needed to stop our giving. And I was praying about it, and I very clearly felt that God said, gave me a picture of when you're climbing up a mountain, and what do you do? You, you knock in those hooks, and you tie off on them, so that if you fall, it catches you, and you don't fall farther. I don't even know what they're called, but I got this picture. And I'm like, okay. And he just told me, he says, if you continue to give and to tithe at what you used to make, I'm going to stop you from falling. Just trust me. He says, keep doing that, and I'm going to help you walk in and grow. I had no idea how to make money in that city. Never lived there. It's a small town. And I talked to my wife. I said, this is what I feel like God's telling me. Let's pray on it. We prayed on it. We both agreed, and we did it. We kept tithing at that, and the money that we were making couldn't even pay our, our, our rent and our bills. I'm like, we are definitely did. And within a short time, because our eyes stayed on faith instead of fear, God gave us an idea for starting a business, different business. If we were in fear, we never would have thought that way. But our the courage, because we were still in faith, not fear, to start it. And within a few years, that business had 14 people working for it, multiple locations. We were making great money, and we were able to move after five years from there to here. It's not an idea that was our own. It's not an idea that we had. It's not a business we'd ever done. But God poured it in. But first, he said, will you just trust me? Trust fall. Will you lock in? I said, Okay. I don't know a lot of other options. I was kind of cornered. But I'm just saying, I've seen it. I've lived it. I live it and I see it today. It's in those areas. I trusted God more than my fear of, of my reality. It's very real that we need to pay our bills. Desire for comfort, here's another one, is greater than our desire for sacrifice. I just like being comfortable. If I do that, I won't be able to do this. And I like to do this. 
And so that's an issue that can come. David, in the Bible, in Samuel, David was trying to make an offering to the Lord, and somebody offered to give him property to do it. And David, a man after God's own heart, refused the gift and insisted on paying for it. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel that he says, I will not give to God what costs me nothing. He wanted it to hurt. He wanted it to cost. He wanted to, like, be invested. And so that was his heart. Cravings for pleasure can be greater than our calling to purpose. It talks about that in James chapter 4. It's a whole passage on people wanting to please themselves and asking for things to fill their own life and their prayers are to fill their own lives. And we can see that in our prayers sometimes. If your prayers are 90% for yourself and 10% for other people, you might want to, like, relook at your prayer life and start praying more even for people that aren't you. Stand in the gap. Jesus said, you know, the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God looks for someone to stand in the gap and he could find no one. It doesn't say he looked and couldn't find anybody that would pray. People were praying, but they weren't praying for someone else. They weren't standing in the gap for another person. And that's what he was looking for. And God wants us to be able to also give that way and to share that way. Love for this life rather than our, is greater than our hope for the next life. That goes to Matthew 6, where we put our treasures. Our way of testing we have a different way. Lord, I'll, you can test me with my time. I'm willing to give up a bunch of time. I serve. I give time. That's not what he's asking for. Time isn't a trade. Time is great. Give your time. We need time. I give time too. But that's not what he's asking for. Why? Because time is different. We give our time to lots of stuff. Well, that's not true. You give your time to TikTok. Right? We give our time to Facebook and Instagram. We give our time to... You can give you two hours of your time. You could have given to the people just jumping on a trampoline and trying to do weird tricks because you saw on TikTok and got, got captivated. So time is not as valuable as we think. We give it up pretty easily. But if that same two-hour TikTok reel said, okay, stop, now give me this much money, you'd be like, nope, I'm out. Where's Instagram? Where's my free YouTube? So the money is where the heart's at. So God's saying, give it to me. Because he's trying to get at the heart. He's trying to get into a place of trust and connection. He's not asking for other ways of test. A distrust of others. This is a big one. I've given many thousands of dollars, almost a year's salary. Church long enough to live all of that. We give many, 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 many thousands of dollars, almost a year's salary, to a, to a building that never got. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of money, just give away a year's salary. To a building that never got built. Agreed, don't ever give money if you're married without your spouse's agreement. But you know what happened? When I gave that money, and we talked and agreed, don't ever give money if you're married without your spouse's agreement. It's a bad idea. The two are one. Let's do it. It's the same heart. But I went and I gave that money. And I went home, and I literally, I was an adult, I laid on my bed, and I bawled for like probably an hour. Not because of the money. I bawled because when I gave it, I had to confront myself, why am I doing this? And I spent an hour in my bed bawling because I was being reminded of the grace of God in my life. And I was literally bawling and crying and saying, God, I don't have anything else. But will you receive this as a thank you? And I was just trying to, like, I wasn't trying to buy it, but it mattered, and I needed it, and I wanted it. And I'm like, God, I don't have anything more valuable to give you. But I know it still is nothing compared to what you've done in my life. That wasn't because a pastor was having me lay in there and cry. That wasn't because of it. I was having time with God saying, Lord, you matter. And God wants us to be able to be in that place. When you give, you're not giving to people. You're giving to the Lord. Pray that they have good stewardship. Pray that they're wise. Pray that our church is wise, that we have good stewardship. If I abuse money, throw me out. It's not my church. It's God's church. But when you give, give unto the Lord, and that can never be shaken. It didn't matter if they built the building. I gave it to God. God saw that. 
And I had a hard time with God. That's what mattered. And so I've never had to look back and regret that. I still do it today because I had a hard time with God where we touched heart to heart in that situation. Trust in ourselves is greater than trusting God. Psalms talks about that. In vain you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. But God gives rest to those that he loves. The cost of hesitation, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12, says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's what God wants to do. God wants to pour it in. He wants to add to your life. He wants to put value in. It says each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This is no longer a tithing issue because that is broken in the Old Testament. This is an honoring God issue, but the New Testament, if you read Acts 2 and Acts 4, they actually gave way beyond tithe. They were selling their homes, they were selling their possessions, they were giving everything. And so it's really an issue of what stretches you and really is a sacrifice that pushes you back to gratitude, back to thankfulness, back to relating to God, rather than feeling just, I'm good because I'm a giver. I've done my part. But no, I'm relying on God now. I'm way out here. Each one must give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And what makes you cheerful is gratitude. God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And his job, even a fast food restaurant, if you go to a fast food restaurant and start working, you use up all the cups and you use up all the trays and you use up all the bags, guess what? Manager's coming in to restock. Why? Because you're using it for the job. If you take them all home, you're going to probably get fired. But if you're using them for the job. So if you are using your life and your funds to serve the mission of God... God's going to continue forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's not just about the finances. It's what God does in our heart in connecting us to him and bringing us back to gratitude that causes us to sow into people's lives and his kingdom grows. And the last part of that verse, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It produces gratitude and thanksgiving of life rather than the stress and anxiety of trying to hold on and make it our own. In both cases, the top 1%, the bottom 1%, God's trying to bring freedom. And if he's doing that for the top and the bottom 1%, guess what? The other 90% in the middle, he's got the same call too. God wants to bring freedom He wants us to test his heart. He wants us to know him. And one of the ways that he does that is through our actual giving of our actual money. And it's for us to draw closer to him and us to have freedom. It's not just to build a church, although that happens in the process. There's something in it for you, and it's the blessings of heaven. It's peace. It's knowing him. It's well-being that that surpasses understanding, the Bible says. So the last couple slides here that says, We're not just supposed to trust God, but in that verse, it actually says to test God. So if you guys have those sheets that you want to hand out, it's Tosh and um, one more person, but I even forget who I asked. Oh, there you go, Justin. Uh, We did these last week. We're doing a month, each month is one of these sheets. And for a year, we're going to follow up on this every month. For a year, we're going to take God up on his quest, which is to have people test him. Not just give and trust, give and test. And so this sheet, you can get one of these, and it has a QR code on it that goes to the first message that explains them better. But basically, you'll record each month what you give. And then in the bottom part below, you will also think throughout the month, like, what blessing? When God opened up heaven over me this month, what blessings has he poured in? Or has he? Maybe he hasn't. And you don't turn them in. They're yours. Keep them for a year. And test God. See if at the end of the year in your giving, 
that God didn't open heaven and pour it back out on you. And that's between you and him, so you keep them. We will have a couple of people throughout the, throughout the year, have people come up like once a month and share from how they see God opening and pouring out blessings. Because it's really about relationship with you and God wanting to pour into your life and God wanting to help you. And does it bless the church? Does it help the church? Does it help foster families and all these things? Yes, it does. But it's not only for that purpose. It's for your benefit in connecting you to God and allowing him to do these things. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. I'm going to have Jacob come up and close us out. Father, thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, let this word fall on good soil. God, I mostly pray, Lord, that as people step into testing you, God, that they will know your heart in a deeper way and that they will grow closer to you, God, and have a better understanding of what it means to love God and to love people, Lord, and live like we meet it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.